Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Susan. Hey. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks today, for having me. Yes, I'm so excited. Today we have Susan Brown, and not Susan Brown, my mom, Susan Brown, but a different Susan Brown. And she's going to talk about, well, she's had a, like a, what would you call it? A buffet of identity loss, forced identity transition. Smorgasbord, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we don't have, we have an hour, um, but <laughs> at least we're going to get through. She was homeless, living in a car, very alone. And she also, there was a car wreck where her mom, who had, was a cancer survivor, ended up quadriplegic. And Susan calls this her 9-11 moment where, you know, the world changes forever, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And first, Julia, I just want to thank you for what you do as this amazing podcast and all the people you're serving and the people that feel seen, validated, and loved because of you and your heart to serve. So first, I just want to acknowledge you and thank your audience for supporting you and for all the amazing guests you have on here. So thank you for all you do. Thank you. And I also wanted to say that Susan is an author. And at the end, she's going to tell us a little bit about her book, which is called One Year of Thankful Thursdays. Yes. So let's just, you just start however you want, Susan, and we'll just take it from there. Yeah, well, I know your podcast is all about those identity loss moments. And um, there's two very in particular I think about. And the first one, like you mentioned, is um, I had made a lot of mistakes in my life and some of them were just uh, foolish because not knowing better and a lot of them were just like sheer ignorance but I ended up when a roommate wait wait hold, isn't that called being human it's called being human right being, being human and growth yes and I think so much of the time we like to blame our past or blame our parents but the truth of the matter is we all have stuff. We all have a history. And like you said, it's just called being human. So when you can learn to give yourself grace, that's when you can kind of tell the story so that you don't maybe feel so attached to it because you're a different person and you were allowed to give yourself that grace and move past it and then use it as the story as somebody else's survival guide. So I hope that's helpful. And what happens here today um, and what I know I loved when I was in those moments was looking at people who had been through the hard times and came out on the other side and survived it and thrived. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. Cause sometimes um, you feel like there is no hope and there is no other side and nobody's ever like experienced this before, even though logically we know people have, but when you're right. in it, you feel like this is just, this, you feel this like you're the only one unique. Yes. Yeah, and that yeah. you're the, most horrible person and you've made unforgivable mistakes and it's just not true but yeah so long story short my roommate at the time moved out and I couldn't afford to pay the bills on my own and I ended up homeless living in my car and I and, did and how old were you I was 
approximately 23 ish it's oh, really so young because the older you get it's like oh my gosh how when so much time has been removed because I just turned 50 years young I say young because I believe our words have power and so I like to be sure I use powerful words um but I think I was about 23 ish yeah I had gone through my four and a half years of college moved down to the beach with a friend of mine because I couldn't decide what I wanted to major in so even though I had enough degree hours for a degree and a half I had no degree so I was like oh, well no let's move out and we'll work for a bit and I'll decide what I want to do. So she moved out and, you know, nothing wrong. She went back home and I did have a decision to make, you know, I could have gone back home. I could have told my parents, I could have moved in with them. Wait, so you were in college, but you didn't no, no, graduate no, I wasn't in college. We had, no, moved but, but you, you, you went to college yes, and yes. you didn't graduate. Not that first time. Right. Okay. <laughs> Right. So for this story, you had like done all this college, but right. nothing added up to like getting graduated. Right. I literally had been four and a half years in college. I had enough hours to have a degree and a half, but because I am quite sure I had undiagnosed ADD and it was like sparkly thing. Ooh, that's good. Let's learn more about that. Let's major in that. I was constantly switching majors. So I was like, well, I don't want to waste any more money. I had used a swimming scholarship to pay for college. And then oh, at wow. this point, it was going to be on my own, you know, and I'm like, well, okay. And a girlfriend of mine was like, well, we could move down to the beach and work for a bit. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. So yeah, it wasn't like a frivolous, you know, anything like that. And we were working down there and she decided to move back. And at the time I had kind of started um, what I would call like a party lifestyle. I knew I was doing things I shouldn't be doing. And so I kind of alienated myself from my parents. And so this hopefully is also encouraging the people that have adult wayward children be encouraged. I was one and there is hope. Um, but anyway, so I had really created some distance and I knew I was um, living a life I shouldn't live. And I was, I had this inner turmoil. So what was the life that you shouldn't live? Well, what is, what is not, being wayward to you? Yeah, well, I was just, you know, I had become the partier. I was drinking all the time. I was bartending, which there's nothing wrong with bartending, but it kind of became my life. And, um, you know, I would sleep in way past late. I wasn't taking care of myself. I just, it's not that I was doing anything illegal. It's just that I, I knew I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing, if that makes sense. You know, I knew I was just living this kind of lazy, frivolous oh, everything is about me lifestyle. And, and I knew it, I knew it in my soul. But so when my friend moved out and when I couldn't pay the rent anymore, there was this reckoning and I thought it, it was very real to me that I could probably, I knew I could call my parents and say, hey, I've made a bunch of stupid mistakes. Can I come home? But I knew, like I knew my own name, Julie, that if I did that, that that would be the end of me. And what I mean by that is I knew that if I went back to my parents, to this small town that I'd probably never get out again. I was raised in where, a very, where is this small town? A very, very small town in North Mississippi and including the college population, which was 4,000 at the time, the whole town, including the college was like 11,000 people. Okay. Um, and it was the kind of town that like, if you were, you know, your parents were teachers, then this is what you're going to be. And I knew that I had gotten away from this, a little bit of this small town mentality. Now I live in a small town now that doesn't have that. Not every small town has that. I'm not degrading small towns. Don't throw tomatoes if you're listening to this. It was just my personal experience with this particular town. And I knew there was this very real reckoning in me that I had to get myself together. And I knew I was an adult age 
And I thought, Susan, you have to do something. You have to clean up your life. Nobody's going to do this for you. I knew that I was an able-bodied adult. I knew that I could work. I knew that I had my vehicle and I had a job. And so it was a very conscious decision, but also very scary. And I thought, I can't do it. I can't go back home. I can't go back to there in this measure of defeat. I, I need to do this. I need to own it and I need to fix this. And what's really interesting, Julie, is that for the first um, and I would say, again, it's that whole distance with time thing. I would say I probably lived in my car about, I'm thinking the four to six month range. And what became very prominent to me is now looking back, it literally was like the best thing that ever happened to me. It truly was. And it is literally okay. where God met me. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. We're going to pick up, we're going to pick up right there. I want to just get um, a few more details in the backwards. Yeah, 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 go. So what, um, what was going on that you, you were in college. So what happened that you made the decision to stop going to college and not get your degree? Well, how did, like how said, did that, that happen? Well, that was because, like I said, I'd been in college four and a half years. I had enough hours to have a degree and a half, but none of it was all in the same field. And I realized that I could just keep going to college, keep going to college, keep going to college and sparkly thing and still end up with no degree. And my college swimming scholarship had run out that, you know, paid for four years. And so now it's going to be on my own money or student loans. And I thought, I knew I didn't know at that point what I wanted my degree in. And so, again, it was a very rational decision to be like, I mean, I could keep going to school, but I mean, I don't know what is the thing I want to go ahead and get a degree in. So it was like, I didn't want to waste any more time, waste any more money. I always enjoyed working since I was 12 years old. I've been babysitting and 15 lifeguarding. So I loved working and I love learning, but loving learning can be a problem if there's going to be like too much sparkly thing syndrome, which we know is entrepreneurs is a real thing. Um, so it was a very conscious decision. Again, not a frivolous one, just, okay, let me go do some work and let me work in some different fields. And I was coaching like a, um, when, when we had moved down there, I was coaching a um, local swim team and I was working at a real estate company. So I was doing all these different things that all of them interest me, both the office stuff, the athletic things. Um, it, it's, so. There's a word for this. It's called multi-potentialite. Yes. Yes. Very it, much. I think, I think entrepreneurs identify with, but I think also women um, in general, identify with this because we're so used to all the things. Multitasking. Yes. 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 So, so that was sort of a, a reckoning with your identity at that point in that you, you, you were like, you're That's a learner. True. That's true. That was also identity reckoning. Yes. Where I realized, okay, what am I doing here? Am I just going to go to college for 12 years and just major in things because it's fun to learn? you know, I knew at some point, okay, what am I going to do here? So it was a, I would say it was a searching, the same thing as that decision to live in my car versus run back with my tail between my legs. And not that anybody that goes back is doing that. But I, for me at that point, that's what that would have been. You know, I wasn't 16 or 17 years old. I was an adult. I'd had my own apartment. I knew what it was like to take care of myself. And I just couldn't, you know, and I was still in that searching mode and I knew I had to find my feet underneath me mm -hmm. and this was before modern day like right now where 
kids actually the whole it's like different trying to live on your own now than it used to be yeah like, I don't you were, think you were, that we don't even have I don't think we had cell phones or if we did they were the because let's see how old am I? I'm 50 so if I was 23 I mean we're talking about 27 years ago so yeah so this is this we, is different than today it's no you know it's like completely normal if a kid needs to go back home but back then it was it was different yeah and we're talking about the day and age too right um that when I was growing up you know you had to go to college to even get a job right like right at the, all. It, yeah and now, these were this world is completely open up and beautiful, but you're right back then for the listeners that are decades younger, it was a different world. You just, you just didn't do that. Um, and I think so much of the reason I was able to get some of the different jobs I got down there is because I could show that I had all these um, years in school. Yeah. At least you had four years, four, <laughs> four years worth of, of college, whether or not you graduated, you. Right. Yeah. So, so you made this conscious decision because to me, it's kind of, okay, I'm not going to try to diagnose or figure it out, but that you, you sort of didn't trust yourself going to school anymore right then. And now that it was on your dime, you were like, I'm not going to invest until I figure out like really what I'm doing. Right. So then, then I knew went, that I didn't know that much. I knew, I knew uh -huh. that I didn't know what I wanted to solidly. So let me ask you this to, for identity. What is it like? Cause I, anyway, what is it like to not know that you don't know? Cause I kind of like, I knew I, I, I had to do my own exploration, but then once I found something, I was like, okay, this is totally cool. So what's it yeah. like to go four years, like not actually connecting with anything well no during the four years I definitely connected and I think that was the problem I would take a uh, speech pathology and fell so in love with it oh let me major in that and I would take a few classes and during that I might take an office class I'm like oh so I definitely connected um but what happened at the end of the time period was this awareness of not knowing so what that looks like I think is just that it's this awareness and all of a sudden it almost inside you feels unaligned but the mm -hmm. good news the really good news about that is that that's a step forward actually oh yeah you know you don't hey. let the world tell you that's backwards when you start to feel a little bit um disconnected unaligned that's okay like it's not it's not quitting that. it's not quitting no, not it's all. like it's, it's testing leading you to where you're supposed to be yeah it's exploring discovering testing and then iterating pivoting right because a again, lot of people are like oh well you you should have just like continued well not once you feel realize that it's not for you right well, and also some people might think of college as going away to college but you have to remember this was I had lived in this very small town since I was five years old here I was 22 years old you know, my parents were both teachers. They both loved what they did. My mom was a teacher of music at the elementary level. My dad at the mm -hmm. college level, both of them music. And, oh, wow. you know, when your parents are teachers, everybody knows you don't have a lot of money. So our summer vacations were up North Pennsylvania where our relatives were. Well, that's the only place I ever went. And I was literally in school. And when my, when my teachers would teach history, I literally thought in my mind, they're lying. 
there's nothing out there. I don't believe them. Like oh, our wow. town was so small. We didn't get a Walmart until I was in college and it was not a super Walmart. We had a, a Fred's and we had a Kroger and that was where you shopped. That was it. Um, we didn't have a movie theater for a long time. So when I say small, I mean, very small and that's it. Um, you know, the nearest mall that was a little bit smallish was 45 minutes away. But if you wanted to go to a real mall, you'd drive two hours to Memphis or two and a half hours to Jackson. But yeah, I mean, so the thing is, there was, I had been in this one town my whole life that there was literally, I mean, there was just nothing there. And <laughs> When I had the chance to get out, it was kind of like the get out of jail free card, you know, um, it was just something that was always in my heart. I'm like, is there really a world out there? Are these teachers lying when they're teaching history and geography? I don't believe them. I don't believe them. You know, and I would kind of daydream a little bit, looking out the window. And I was that kid that wondered when I would like look out and I would see cars go by. I'm like, are they really allowed to be out during school hours? Do the I used to, I used to always think that too. It's like, what are all these and people you think you're doing? The only one. You're like, are people going to the bank right now? Is that legal? Because everybody should be in school. And so or in school or in, or at or work. In work. So what are all these cars doing on the road? Doors closed, <laughs> typing away. That's where they should be. So, um, yeah. So for me, college wasn't a getting away. I was still in the same town. I was still in the same um mindset you know and Wait, so, what do you mean you were still in the same town yeah the college was in the same town oh, oh I'm sorry right including the college in. students so you went to the college in your town oh yes. my god so that's what I'm saying for me college was not a going away I was still in the same town okay wow so for me the getting away was moving away from college you know and I'm not gonna lie to you, I was over the moon excited, I was ready. And it was so amazing to have different stores around and different people to meet and different topography of land to see. It was just, you know, I had, it was incredible and it was thrilling. And, you know, then I clearly took my freedom to extreme and just started partying and things like that. But then I also really, I mean, I really enjoyed, you know, working. I mean, I wasn't somebody, I wasn't like drunk all the time or anything, but I did, you know, I partied, I shouldn't have, I just kind of, and I started to have this inner anger with myself and this turmoil of, I think just some, some serious, what I would call like self-loathing that had come to a head because I had really had a hard time in school being bullied. And I was just that awkward kid that I didn't know, like, what was in the style or how to dress? I was kind of like the happy puppy. I'm like, hey, hey, I'm happy to be alive. You want to be my friend? You know, I was that kid. I didn't know. Oh, you had to play it cool. I didn't know you had to like be a certain way or do a certain way. So yeah, so there was a struggle going on. And that was another part that I knew I couldn't go back. So that's why I didn't want to go back to that small town. When this was all coming to a head, I'm like, I had experienced some freedom of, and I don't mean like the partying lifestyle. I mean, just like being on my own in a new town going, wow, I, I'm able to hold a job, earn money and do my own thing and not be, you know, kind of oppressed a little bit by the town that I grew up in. And it was beautiful, you know? And so to me, like moving into my car was like, I kind of just wanted to fight for that. I was wrestling. I had a lot of self anger and things like that going on but it was also kind of a line right, self self anger around what uh just well I think when I was younger and struggling with the bullying 
I think what happened is I really started to own that narrative. It became internalized in me. Yeah, internalized I'm a very oppression. passionate person. I'm a very empathetic person. And as we know, those are the people that tend to absorb the things that are put on them. Clearly now I know better, but the thing is, is that, you know, when you're a child and you're around it all the time, you kind of, it's hard to get away from, it's hard to get out of your head. So I think all those things had come to a head when probably I felt like looking back, I probably felt like a failure, excuse me. And that when my friend moved out and I realized, oh, I couldn't pay the bills, probably my guess is looking back at my younger self, all that internal narrative came back. Oh, you are the loser. Oh, all these things, because Mm -hmm. you can't do this. And I think really for me, I was drawing a line in the sand saying, no, you know what? This is the hill I'm willing to die on. This is where I'm going to make my stand. I'm going to figure this out. If I have to live in my car, I have to live in my car. If I have to be scared, I have to be scared. But this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to figure this thing out and I'm going to get right with myself. That was the other thing I think I knew. Again, I knew my parents would let me home, but I, I, Julie, me, I couldn't go home because I was different and I knew something was changing in me. Again, that awareness, but I didn't know what it was. And I knew that if I went back there, I wouldn't be able to figure out. I don't know if that makes sense. And it I know totally it, makes sense. So this yeah. is on the surface, it looks like a, a chosen identity change. And, and, and there's no like, there's some, some of these lines are not totally clear, but you were making a choice, but at the same time, you were losing this old identity that, that was sort of like a, a parasite on you that yes. you had, you had, you had grown up and learned these negative things about yourself and that actually weren't serving you weren't anymore. Even true. <laughs> and I, I don't know if they were true or not, but they definitely weren't serving you now. And, and so you were, you were losing those, you were making a conscientious effort to lose those. And so this is, okay, so this is how it fits in with my topic of unexpected identity loss is that earlier your identity was nipped in the bud by these bullies. And so you, you, you're, you're whatever your original identity would have bloomed in blossomed into was nipped in the bud. And because of that, and so then you internalized all this oppression and started the self-loathing. And so, so in a sense, this is your breakthrough. So you lost your identity back then it was and you went into this forced identity transition with um you know dealing with bullying you became this person however you needed to to make it through every day and now you're a free adult you're living in a different environment and you're like oh heck no i am not gonna like i i'm gonna continue to like get find out who this other person is and let go of this old identity. So like right now, this is sort of a chosen identity loss, but it was precipitated because you had this, you know, forced identity pivot because these people just messed with you. You were like this like cheery girl that didn't like follow the norms. And that just wasn't who you were, but that wasn't okay with them. And so they just 
anyway i'm 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 like reading all this into it but let me like yeah. you well the word you story. said that is so important when you said chosen is um i think what's interesting is looking back yes it, and i even in the moment i realized i'm like i have a choice and i i choose this i choose myself and my future self and I knew, even though I was scared in the moments of going to live my car, it was always this conscious awareness that this was simply a stepping stone, that this was not going to be my forever, that this was not something I was willing to even allow to enter my mind as permanent. Like that wasn't even part of the plan. And I think that it's interesting because when we talk about that awareness of becoming unaligned, we forget that sometimes in those moments that you have a choice and that's the cool thing to be able to choose to say, you know what, something isn't feeling right and that's okay. I'm going to choose to move forward. I'm going to choose to, you know, move forward in faith and to see what the next thing is and to not give up. That's a choice, you know? So yes, the, when you said the chosen, I mean, you, you have this choice to move forward, even if it looks scary or bad, that's okay. That's okay. You know, like you still have that choice. So, and so this is what I talk about in my book for everybody who doesn't know already, Masters of Change this is like being published as we speak. Yeah. And um, and it's about this forced identity transition. And the thing is, is that like your story is so playing out the, what, what the book talks about is that, so you had this identity nipped in the bud as a little girl, and then you're finding your way through, you're finding your way back to your true self. You don't know what that direction is. You didn't find it in college, but you are, and, and so you're making this choice to become homeless and live in your car, and, and it's a choice. And so, and so that's the way going through a forced identity transition is you make these little steps forward and you and you have to use faith and you have to just keep going forward because um because you don't and only a few steps are revealed at a time you don't like so you have to make these decisions this is what makes it so hard and so painful and painful for people on the outside watching us is that we don't actually even know exactly where we're going Mm -hmm. but we know the direction and we continue to commit to to going in that direction and then we pivot you know but and so that's what that um that that choice is of like not going home because you are on this other path and and living in your car is is the next step so let's hear about that what was that like because yeah, also you say that because to me, in my mind, going to my parents who would have welcomed me, having a roof over my head in that town, that actually would have been a step backwards for me. Right. Um, even though, like you said, I didn't quite know where I was going yet. I knew that that would have been backwards. And I knew that for me to go forward and to get right and get my feet underneath me and figure this inner turmoil and everything out that I, this was the only path for me. Um, so yeah, so it was interesting time. Um, you know, as you can imagine, I mean, it was scary to go to sleep and I would sleep with the ball cap over my head. I would kind of drive around till I get sleepy, try to pick a different parking lot each night. But here's what's really interesting that happened is I remember there was one night I was in my car and it was raining and pouring down and I parked in this one parking lot to fall asleep and I would kind of stay awake and lay my chair back my seat back as far as I could and kind of look out to be sure I felt safe and have the ball cap on so I could hopefully look tough and look like a guy and a few people were walking by so I decided to move and 
I moved to another parking lot and I remember looking out the rain coming down and um, I had really distanced myself from God and I hadn't been in the church or anything. And I remember just crying out saying, God, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't know what to do, God, but I, I don't think I can do this. And do this I, meaning stay living in the life. car yeah, or, the or car. stay living? No, it wasn't. It wasn't living. It was, it was in, in the car. It okay. wasn't a suicidal thing. It was just like, this is too much. This is too long. This is too scary, too hard kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So I drifted off to sleep. And the next morning when I woke up, I just literally had this overwhelming peace about me and this joy. And all of a sudden it was like, not that loud audible where it's like a speaker that you can audibly hear, but like in my soul, I heard, you know, I'm going to make the way for you. It's okay. And I am with you. And I knew clear and plain as day, it was God. And so I tell people like, and I get chills. Every time I tell the story, I get chills right now. Chills all over my body, the lighting, you probably can't see it. But um, that is where God met me. He met me homeless in my car. And that is why it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And what was crazy is there was this bizarre and immediate like light switch that happened in my soul. And all of a sudden I had a checklist of things I needed to do that I knew I had to come from him. So right away, I quit my job bartending. I went in for my last shift and I told my um, boss, I said, hey, thanks for being so good to me. I appreciate it. This is going to be my last shift. I'm sorry, I can't give you two weeks notice. I can't exactly tell you what's going on, but I have some really exciting things happening because that was true. There was exciting things happening in my soul and I'm going to have to leave effective immediately after this shift. Uh, thankfully they were super kind about it. You know, they didn't really ask much questions and that was my last shift. I started waiting tables at a restaurant somewhere else. And then there was this girl that I believe God placed in my path. We were waiting tables together and I was very careful to not let anybody know I lived in my car because, you know, as a single young girl, you didn't want people to know that. So I had a Camaro at the time. And I'd only had a certain number of clothes. And since I was always working, I had enough money to like go to the laundromat. I'd wash my clothes. You know, I would take. You didn't um, look like you were homeless. I didn't look like I was homeless. I made sure to even wash my car in the car wash every day. I didn't want to give any appearance because I also didn't want to lose my job. You know, I figured if somebody found I was homeless, they wouldn't want me working for them. So nobody knew I was very protective of that identity or that part of my identity. And I would go to the, it was at the beach. And so I would go to the public bathroom showers early in the morning when nobody else was awake. So I would safe and I would shower and I would dry my hair and I would do my makeup and I would get presentable. And then I would go out to my Camaro and I would tuck everything under the trunk. And then you have like this pull latch. I would do that and then close it. So if anybody looked at my car, they would never know. Cause again, that was really important to me that this was not a part of my permanent identity. And I also knew that for me, um, me not pretending, but kind of in my mind, my Camaro was my apartment, right? So during the day, if you had a home, you wouldn't just like have your bed laying out everywhere in your clothes. And so I was like, okay, well, it's the daytime. So now this is my living room and my workforce. And then at night, you know, it became my bedroom. And so I was very protective and intentional about being sure that I didn't look or appear homeless, that my car didn't. 
And so I didn't want to attract that kind of attention. I didn't want to start hanging around with a certain crowd or find people um, that were in a similar situation with me because I didn't want to surround myself with people that were in that same situation because that's not where I wanted to go, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Right. Yeah. You want to find people that are further ahead of you, not right where you are. Exactly. So I had a job waiting tables and then here's what's interesting. So the reason I told you all that is there was a girl, I believe God placed in my life. She was waiting tables with me and I don't know how she figured it out, but I'm quite sure she did. But I'm also quite sure she must've had a very kind love and respect for me in her heart because she never got it crystal clear out of her mouth, but she would kind of hint around and I would be protective. The reason I say that is because then she asked me one day, she said, Hey, um, do you have any extra hours in the evening you could work looking to earn any extra money? And I said, well, you know, that could be a little bit of a sketchy question. So I said, well, before I answer that question, what exactly are we talking about here? And her sister owned, well, I haven't told this story in a long time. So you're getting this, Julie, her sister owned a business that I guess basically sold the dishes to restaurants. So she imported the plates and the dishes like in crates and she needed people to clean them when they came in, clean them out of the crates. So she could get then go in the nice containers and sell them to the restaurants. And I said, well, yeah, I would be down for that. And she and I had gotten a chance to know each other over like the course of a month. And she said, okay, well, it's at night it's late hours. And of course my heart was jumping for joy because at this time I was like, I'll work five jobs. I don't care. I don't need to sleep. You know, I can sleep when I have my apartment and my bed. So, um, I took the job and it was such a comfort and a blessing because what happened is we would, I would meet her at this storage unit. It sounds crazy. Looking back, I'd meet her at the storage unit after we got done with our shift waiting tables And she had a truck. Of course, I had my Camaro and we would sit up in the bed of her truck with flashlights, with those crates, and we would clean those dishes. And, you know, I mean, back then it was probably like, I don't know, five or six bucks an hour or something that she paid me addition, but it didn't matter. It was something extra, you know, and we had the most beautiful discussions and the best talks. And it was, I believe just such a comfort sent from God to not only be on that aligned path, but to just have somebody there with me that was being a regular human, having regular conversations with me, giving me hope in the moment, even if they don't know it. But again, I believe that she did know. um, And I believe she was giving me grace and not actually mentioning it. But um, yeah, so I eventually had three jobs and so wait, before you, before you go into that, so how did you feel like your identity was aligned at that point? Cause yes. you, you're, you're, um, do you, yeah. Yeah. So there's a shift happening. And at the same time that this was happening, something else was also happening. And at night when I would get done with that shift, um, about three in the morning, there was this one furniture store and it was sitting right on the beach and the part it had a parking lot, not facing the beach that was all glassed in. And it had this beautiful four poster bed with spotlights on it. And the reason I share this is so important because the power of visualization is so strong and the power of having a specific goal and something you are so laser focused on. And I would go and I would drive and I would sit and park myself right in front of that 
four poster bed and I would stare at it and I made it mine in my mind. And mm -hmm. I, you're, it you're, wasn't, you're pulling the future into the present through it wasn't, yes, our thoughts it wasn't and, and just the emotions. Bed. I could, yes. I could actually see myself in the bed, right. pulling up the covers. I could feel the warmth of it. Even now I could describe that bed to a T to you because that was my routine is I would go there every night when I would get done with the shift. And what that did is it would allow me to just for like three or four hours, I would sleep, sleep so peacefully because I think it's powerful what you focus on before you go to bed as well, or I know mm -hmm. it is. Right. And I would usually dream about that specific bed, but it would be in my new home. And so that was happening at the same time that this was happening at the same time I got a job um, you know, coaching a swim team. And so I had all these amazing jobs going on, earning all this money. And I had this specific, specific laser focused goal in my mind. And that all culminated into me signing, um, the lease on my low income apartment, still one of the proudest days of my life. And it was just such a powerful realization you know, and no, I never got the four poster bed, but that wasn't really the point, right? The point is what that bed represents, the comfort, the warmth of that bed, the safety. Um, I got a bed and it was in the bedroom and it was beautiful and comfortable and everything I could imagine. But then what happens next is once you reach your goals, you're so content, but you can't become complacent because then it almost means that all the work you did is for nothing, Right. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to learn to be content no matter where you are, whether plenty or in want. And I really had become content in living in my car, but I wasn't complacent. You know, there's a huge gap in those two things. And so then it was time to move forward to the next thing and the next thing and keep elevating. So, so explain that a little bit more, dissect that uh, content and complacent. Yeah, when I think of complacency, really, it's not so different for me than laziness. It's just really not because complacency is like, ah, it's fine. It's whatever. It's not necessarily a deep satisfaction and gratitude, which that's more of a content. Um, you know, there's just such a beautiful piece. I, I tell people all the time that I don't really believe you will ever be content until you can learn to be grateful in the hardest of times, because until you can learn to be grateful in the darkest of times, the truth is nothing will ever be enough and you'll never be grateful because gratitude isn't really about the things you have. It's about, it's a vision issue. It's about how you see what is around you and taking stock of what you do have. You know, I could have looked for a minute, like I did at my car and go, I can't believe I just have my car. But instead I look at that as an asset and something to be grateful for. And how can I use this to move forward? So contentedness is more of an inward piece that's not affected by external circumstances, because if you need money or validation or a title to be happy, the truth is that's not real joy anyway. And that's just external circumstance. So when that changes or fades or goes up or down, that means it affects you. Contentedness is an inner indwelling piece mm -hmm. that you should hold on to that you get to keep regardless of how things change. And it also means when things change for the better, you don't necessarily go on this huge high, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And you don't get overwhelmed with fear. Like, oh, it's going to get stripped away. You're like, I am centered here. I'm content. And for me, my contentedness is in the Lord 
And he is my everything and enables me to be thankful, whether in plenty or in want. And complacency, like I said to me, it's almost like a dirty word. It just like my face kind of shrills up. I'm like, it's just like, it's fine. And it, complacency, people can be complacent, you know, in an elevated or in a low, whatever. But again, it's just almost like a lackadaisical attitude. But that's so, yeah. So in 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 my the way I talk about it is settling. Yes. Complacency is settling because there's always more. Even if you're like at a high level, there's always more nuances. Mm-hmm. And and when we're settling, I connect that with self betrayal. Yes. And, and going against, going against our best interest. Absolutely. 1000%. Okay. So let's get back to your story. So you, um, I was, there was a whole bunch of questions, right? But you were, what you were saying was so interesting. I definitely held my pencil. off. I'm so proud. I didn't interrupt. <laughs> um, but right I, didn't, I didn't write down my questions. So let's just jump back into where you were in your story. So you, you were with this person and you were starting to your identity was becoming solidified right yes yeah and so who who were you who were you becoming yeah well I wasn't even sure at the time but I knew I was finally stepping into who I was and not who the small town wanted me to be who I who I was told I was I definitely wasn't the loser living in my car. But again, part of that is I just never allowed myself to even entertain that thought. I knew that this was simply a stepping stone. And and again, that's that's another thing I talk about um, in my book is like, we choose what perspective we're going to look at circumstances with. And so that's all about perspective. It's all how you look at it. I talk about filter a lot. I'm like, take out your perspective glasses, dust them off and maybe see a new for the first time. So yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's all about your perspective and what you're going to see. And sometimes we're so convinced or so locked into what we've been trained to see that we actually don't see the reality of what's truly right in front of us because we're so looking for something else. And whatever we look for is what we will find. Right. That is one thousand percent true. Yeah, we, we validate our experience. We search for validation and we find it. Mm-hmm. Right. And and one of the things that's that's I've learned in, in recent years is like approach things with beginner's mind. Like don't show up as the expert like I already know this show up like okay what is this very same thing I see every day what is it what is it to me today and not not saying that like I'm too good at that but um and and, well you know what that is that's humility and I talk a lot about that too I'm like until you can be humble enough to say hey I don't know everything here then you're not really open-minded enough to learn and absorb the things that you say you want to learn so Yeah. I mean, the true mark of just like being ready to grow is you have to be humble. You have to be humble. You have to be willing to say, Hey, I don't know it all here. You know, like, I think that's a freedom too. It's so freeing to say that, like, I love learning. And when you say you love learning, that means you're admitting you don't know everything. And I know I, I don't know a lot. And so I'm willing to say that. And not that that makes me somehow great. It doesn't I'm saying, but it's exciting because the more you admit that you don't know the more you're open to grow and learn exactly. and gain so much more knowledge yeah 
So that humbling, what, what you did to make that choice to live in the car was a, a major step in humbleness. Yes. Um, you, you, were, you were willing to adopt. Yeah, just the humility is what we were talking about. Yes. And I, and I knew it, you know, but I knew that there was something deeper in me. I knew that there was this yearning and I craved what was going to be more than I worried about people thinking I was stupid. I didn't know everything. Um, I was okay with that. I'm like, that's okay. That's okay. And I think that's a beauty too. When you can get to the point that it's like, whatever people are going to think about you just go, that's okay. Right. That's you know, some people might think I talk too much and that's okay. You know, they, they have their right to have their opinion, just like I have mine. So that's okay. And when you can take a step back and not be so offended or butthurt, as my kids say about what somebody thinks, you also not only give them the permission to have their feelings, but you give yourself the freedom to stay in your lane, stay on your path and be unaffected by anything coming at you so that you actually are building resiliency and strength to move forward. And you have the humility, which enables you to also realize, well, I don't know, because something they'll be saying be true, maybe, and that's okay. But that doesn't mean you have to like absorb it and own it either. Right. Yeah. There's so many wonderful things about being a grown up that we get to like make these different choices that we just couldn't when we're kids. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, they never like, they never review their, their degree of freedom and they keep like making decisions and living their life based on all of this stuff they needed when they grew up, but now it's no longer needed. Yes. So and, and much. It, throw it off. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so like these coping mechanisms then turn as an adult, they, they, they were needed and useful, critical as a kid. And then as an adult, sometimes they become an impediment, but we don't realize it unless we like are, are like every once in a while evaluating and realize and thinking, oh, is this still true? You know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Evaluate everything constantly, not one time because right. life changes. We change. Be We're different. Be right. willing to grow and constantly evaluate it because not only are we growing, but our awareness of our growth is growing and our awareness of our own mistakes and of our own shortcomings is hopefully growing. I tell my kids all the time, I hope that I'm learning until I go home to heaven. I don't ever want to stop learning because if I do, then I stop growing, whether that's improving or becoming another version of myself, whatever the case may be. Now, some people are, maybe they don't, recognize it but they're afraid of change and growth mm -hmm. and it doesn't sound like you you had that at all you were you were actually voraciously seeking growth and still are well and I would say and this is a bold statement but since then your podcast is bold becoming I would actually, <laughs> I would actually say in challenge there might be tomatoes thrown at the screen when I say this I actually think we all crave change maybe we just aren't willing to admit it. Uh, but I think there's a seed in all of us that is craving the change. And once you realize that there's something truly fantastic on the other side of the change, I don't think it's necessarily the change we fear as much as the process of it and what we think we're going to have to let go of over here. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? I think oh, that totally. there's so much excitement to look forward to. And a lot of us, like if we think about, we like to look forward to birthdays, to Christmas, to holidays, to celebrations, right? We don't necessarily look forward to tax day, but that's okay. Um, but we look forward to those things. And I really think if we start to think of the change in our life, like a birthday, it changes it. And you can focus on the forward instead of worried about, oh, this thing I'm clinging to, or, oh, this painful, scary process that's not the thing you have to be afraid of. That's the thing you can just enter into and focus on what's on the other side while having joy in the journey. But again, it's all about those perspective lenses. But I actually do believe we all crave change. I, I, I had never thought about it like that, but I totally agree with you because that is why people are so frustrated. Yes. Is that they re actually really do crave change. Our our soul or whatever it is inside of us that is responsible for our inner knowing, our inner voice, our intuition, it like it has this bigger plan and for our life, and we actually know it. And and so it is frustrating. Fear of the unknown, right? I think oh, it's yeah. the fear of the unknown more than anything. But again, if, if you think about the birthdays and the, or the birth of a book like you just had, right? Like, and I know fellow author to fellow author, it is a painful process. You know, there's <laughs> tears, there's frustration, there's writing blocks, mental blocks, there's time blocks, there's time you have to pull away from your family and your business to finish the writing. There's re-edits, you question your sanity, all those things. And, and there becomes a point of no return and you cannot back out. It's like right. in labor and delivery. But what kept you going? What you knew was on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Because you had that vision to focus on that enabled you to endure the process. Right. And we all have those sticky processes in our life. Some of them are stickier and harder and more grunge filled than others. <laughs> but if we just focus on what the goal is, even if you don't know it, if it's just like it not being like it is, that's fine. I know a lot of people um, dread moving and I know a thing or two about that. When we moved back here, it was move 11 and 19 years. There's probably nobody on the planet that hates moving as much as me, but it's more just like uh, all the things, right? It's not so much, I've actually come to love um, like moving to a new place. And now this time we're actually embarking on moving, but it's locally and we're buying some land and that's exciting. But every time we have moved, it's been when I look back and answer to that childhood prayer or the childhood wonder, when I told you I would sit in the school and look out and go, is there even a world out there? And, you know, I look back, I'm like, wow, my prayer is now answered all these cool places we got to live and move and meet all these different people. This is the very thing I wanted when I was a child. So I think that reframe too. Sometimes I think I would challenge we're actually living part of our dream life, but we're so much in it. It's kind of like how if you're in the process of losing weight, you don't see it right as much, but you might see a friend and they're like, oh my gosh, Julie, have you lost wait because maybe they haven't seen you time and you're like well yeah but i think they would notice right because you're in it i think so many times just like we get in our own heads we get in our own life so much that we don't give ourselves that permission to step out and look from like a thirty thousand foot view and go do the evaluation oh, this is amazing this yeah. is really amazing look at these things that i didn't realize i'm doing that i used to want to do and now i'm living this 
And it's okay to give yourself that permission to be excited for your life. Because I think we live in a world where you and I know this girls, when you're young, man, girls are brutal to each other. Right. But thankfully now I think we're in this world where there's you, there's me, there's so many other women entrepreneurs and women in general that want to lift each other up towards the greatness they were designed for. Like we rise together, let's link arms, let's go, let's go baby. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting because you realize, yeah, I don't want your success because I don't want to take it away from you. What is meant for you is meant for you, Julie Brown, right? If I knew your middle name, I would use it. And what's (laughs) meant for me is what's meant for me. And it's a beautiful thing to step back and actually give yourself permission to be like, wow, this is exciting and find a friend who you can call. It's not a bragging thing to say, this is so exciting. I can't believe it. Can I share something with you? Yeah, it's super important. Too much to, we to lean s- on each other for like the hard stuff. If I call him like, Julie, I'm really struggling this hard thing. And we're good at that. But there seems to be this weird dichotomy where we can't call each other for like this exciting thing. And we should. Yeah, we, we it's important. I learned that there's a there's a, like three things that I remember from my my master's degree in public health. And one of them was in community organizing and community planning is you need to celebrate milestones, celebrate success along the way. Don't wait until you finally get somewhere. Yes. Like each each milestone is important to actually stop and take a breath. And so like in my book process, I would I would like make a post because okay, I've done I, I just passed this milestone. Yes. And if and it feels like, well, but you know, you still have so far to go. And yet it is important to like because actually we never know where we're actually finally gonna be. No, yeah. And if we don't know. So so you know party up along the way. (laughs) Celebrate now. It's really important. You know, because I think that's something that as little kids, we were allowed to do, right? Oh yeah. Oh, you, you got dirty on the playground and made through the monkey bars. Yay. And there's this big celebration or, okay, you made a B instead of a C on your spelling test. Yay. But we stopped celebrating for each other because there seems to be this weird, like jealousy. What is that about? I don't know. It's like community and collaboration over competition all day long. You know, it's like, that's where it's at. And I think we get so used to just being in our life and don't talk about anything good because you don't want it to appear like you're bragging and you're not, you're just assessing that give yourself permission to step outside yourself for a minute and look back and be joyful and thankful that you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even see this is what's happening. This is so exciting because it can feel like a gradual thing when you're in your life. So give yourself permission to just step outside yourself for a minute, look at it and go, wow, this is exciting. And if you don't have anybody in your life that you can call and share your good news with, that'll come. It's okay to like do a little dance around the house or, you know, find a friend if you have friends in your life and they're not excited for you, then that's a sign too. You know, like if it's a true friend, they should really be excited for you. If you call them, be like, Hey, guess what? And it can be something as small as I've been struggling with like this laundry issue. Not finally forgot how to get the spots out. Yay. Let's celebrate, you know, or it could be something as big as, Oh my gosh, I birthed my book. Yay. Let's celebrate. <laughs> so giving yourself permission to celebrate those things, you know, like me signing, my lease on my low-income apartment still to this day, one of the proudest moments in my life. And I don't find it shameful or something embarrassing to tell people about if other people take it that way. That's okay. They can do that. That's their right to do that. Wait, but so let's, I, so let's, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, but I know that it's important to celebrate those moments because the proof of the past accomplishments is a powerful momentum to move you towards your purpose. Right. Really is. Right. There. When when we're struggling, that we need to be able to look at that past and say, okay, I made it then. I'm going to make it now. Yes. Yeah. But I want to know what happened with your identity, like when you actually signed that lease and moved out of your car into this apartment, how did, how did that impact your identity? Yeah. I basically proved to myself that I was who I said I was, who I said I was, I was going to say who I said I was going to be. But the thing about it is in my mind, even living in my car, I was already that person. Mm -hmm. I just had to get to the place where I knew I was going to be right because that had to be a non-negotiable, not only for obviously my safety, but just survival at that point, survival, my safety. And again, I just can't tell you how much of a non-negotiable was. There was not another option. I wasn't going to stay living in my car. If I had to work 23 hours a day to have five jobs and so be it, that was what I was going to do. So I more just stepped into the version of myself that I had visualized that I had worked hard for, but I would say it wasn't, and this is how it should be when we work towards things. It wasn't so much like a shock, like, oh my gosh, I did this. It was more of this. Yes, this is it. This is what I set out to do. This was the mission, mission accomplished. Now what? Because so you, now, you, you came into this congruent, you, you completed the congruence of the picture you were working to. Yes. Now I had this freedom that I didn't have before a safe place to lock the door, the freedom to sleep um, and not worry. But I also felt like I actually really had something, um, not something to necessarily prove, but I really had some gratitude that I needed to put in action, that I needed to give back to God for him meeting me in a dark, desperate place and to prove to him how very grateful I was because real gratitude, I believe, actually transforms into action. I think gratitude is a lot like love and that it's not a feeling, it's an action. And when you're grateful for something, it shows, right? If I'm grateful for my house, I'm not going to trash it. Um, if I'm grateful for my marriage, I'm not going to go talk to other men or cheat on my husband. Um, so I believe gratitude is an action. It turns into it. If it's a true gratitude, it can't help but it because it just becomes an outpouring. So it became an outpouring that I was like, okay, I, I'm so grateful. I can't sit still. You know, it was like, I'm so content. I'm so thankful. I'm so blessed. I can't just stop here. It became a movement that I had to move forward in that gratitude in an action. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, we're coming up to the end of the hour. So I wanted to get any sort of uh, a before, middle and after identity snapshot and also anything else you want to say about like where you are now. I, I know that there's this whole, you know, this is just sort of a snapshot of your life. That's okay. But That's okay. Like yeah, what, was your, I, what was your identity before you went to college, your identity when you were making that choice to live in your car instead of go backwards and to get stuck where you'd always been and then, and then where you are now. 
Yeah, you know, that's a really good question, Julie. And for I was actually thinking about it while you were asking it. And I definitely think before before I went to college, that was the first part, right? I was what you would call a dreamer. Like, and there's there's a reason I use this word because I believe there's a huge difference in dreamers and visionaries. And the difference is the work. Um, and the reason I would define myself as a dreamer is because I'm not sure I actually believed any of it was possible mm-hmm. because I'd been in that small, oppressive mindset. You can't do this, this. So that dream was there. That seed of that desire for like something bigger was always there. But I wouldn't say I actually believed it was possible at that point, if that makes sense. So I would right. identify myself before as a dreamer. And then I would say when I moved into my car, it was a desperation, but it wasn't a, um, it was a, I would say almost calculated desperation. Like I knew I had to be on a mission. I was so desperate for a change that this was the only choice, no going back, determined. So probably, so before would be dreamer. And I guess moving to the car, we could say determined. The good news is on the flip side of that, when I moved into my apartment and when I started to do other things, like go back to school, finish my degree, became a paramedic, got married, all these other things that happened after. That's when I would say I became the visionary um, that I always dreamed I would be as a kid. So what happened is that kind of, uh, I hate to use the word innocent, because I'm not sure any of us are innocent, but the childlike uh, dream or innocence of me was reborn, but with a brand new understanding that it was actually possible. With the capability. And, and that I knew I had proved to myself, that's right, with all the work that I was fully capable and that I could do far and away and abundant more than I ever dreamed, especially with God as like my guide. So yeah, I would say before it would be the dreamer and then it would be determined and then it would be the visionary. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, it's exciting. And the thing, the Super. best news is you and I know that's not isolated to me. That's possible for everybody. It isn't everybody. Right. So that's the best news. <laughs> it's right. not just me. I'm not some isolated case. Right. We all have tough circumstances. Even the quote privilege that is like, well, how could they have any problems? Um, and we all have choices what we do in those circumstances. Yes, this is just a shell, you know, whatever we have on the outside, whether it's color, hair, age, size, money, all that's just a shell everybody hurts, everybody struggles, everybody suffers, and we don't know what's in somebody's heart, what's in their life, what's in their mind, and so the best thing is just when you can be anything in the whole world, be kind, be a kind human, and I like to say assume that everybody you meet is going through the worst possible time in their life while also doing their very best, And when you can approach everybody like that and imagine that they're going through something unfathomable while they're doing their very best, 
it gives you permission to just be gracious, to be loving, to be humble and to be kind. And it gives you permission to not take anything too personally as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. So those are some great takeaways, Susan. Thank you so much. Um, so let's give you, let's, um, let's give your bio. What do you do? Who are you now? You, you're the author of this book. Um, one year of thankful Thursdays, 52 unique perspectives, cultivating a heart of gratitude and eyes to see God everywhere. Yes. Yes. And, and so what, what do you do and what, um, and where can people find you online? Yes. So all these many years later, after many more smorgasbord that maybe we'll get into in another time. Um, so now I am an author, a inspirational speaker, and a legacy coach and a real estate investor. And so what we do is we've founded this movement, it's Legacy Game Changers, and we are equipping those 1% visionaries. I call them that because that's what you feel like, right? When you're the visionary, you feel like you're just in this 1% club. And truly you are, we're kind of coming into a world where everybody almost, not everybody, but there's a lot of just this kind of zombie complacency. But we are here for those people that are driven, that know there's something more and they're ready to do the work and rise up. And we like to say, we're equipping you to rise up, make your dash matter. You know, we all have the dash, right? I was born, then there's a dash, which is what we're living. And who knows when my expiration date comes, when the Lord calls me home. But we are equipping people through books, courses through one-on-one coaching to completely change your life. Now we help business coaches, life coaches, all of the above. And we're just so excited to come alongside people, equip them for their journey, create a joy-filled life now with strategies I learned as a caregiver, as a paramedic, as a health and safety director during 911, during 9-11. So much specific mindset strategies, business and life tactics. So we're just going to equip you all across the board to live your joyful life now and create a legacy that transforms generations to come. And so you can find me online. My handle is Susan Brown coaching and Susan Brown was taken, you know, so I'm married into a nice I know family. Julie Brown, Julie Brown with an E was taken. I was like, yeah. And we do so much more than the coaching, but the coaching is a huge part of what we do. So yeah, Susan Brown coaching on Instagram and Facebook uh, website, Susan Brown coaching. And if you need to look at me for speaking events, that's Susan Brown speaks. And I actually have a great freebie um, to give you and your listeners if you want it. And it's actually my five-step plan that is usually in my paid training. I was like, you know what? I'm putting it out there for whoever wants it for a short time for free. And you can find it at overcomersecrets.com. And it's, I, I used it before we actually got on this podcast. I use it to approach everything in my life, whether it's a regular task of the day or whether it's a hardship and it walks you right through. And because I love acronyms, it spells gives G I V E S. So go to overcomersecrets.com and you can grab your free training there. And I love hearing from people. So just email me and say hi. Um, hello at legacygamechangers.com. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. This has been absolutely fabulous. And thank you so much for just being so strong and and making all those choices that got you to where you are today to be an inspiration and a role model for others. 
Well, thank you so much. And I mean, hey, with my story, I say um, God's a driver. I'm just along for the ride. So to God be the glory, because I wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. And I'm so thankful. And yes, everybody keep your head up. There is hope, 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 always hope. Okay. All right. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others and make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.